Well, Warren, we sat down the other day with, we only pick winners, I guess, Warren, to interview on the show. Uh, Brad Guju was the uh, winner of the Boost Nationals in North Bay, and uh, we spent about half an hour with him. Uh, he was really good, Warren. He was really good. Yeah, Brad is a fabulous interview, uh, and, and I think a lot of the things we talked about were uh, very timely, and uh, he made some excellent comments. So it was, uh, it was a great uh, 30 minutes with him. And uh, Kevin, I think the year has started for him, so he's moved all his family and his furniture onto an airplane. Okay, because that's <laughs> Kevin in the air is a yeah, term we're going to use air. for the next uh, few months. Yeah, we may have to buy the Wi-Fi for him on the airplane. Yeah, to do the show. So uh, check it out, Brad Guju. Ninety-four percent for Brad Guju on his hits in the last rock. Extra end for the win. This is out there quite a ways. Really got to dig, Jeff. Give it. Go, Jeff. Really giving it everything. Jeff Walker hits stage. Gives you wins in North Bay. An extra end victory. Career slam 14. Well, this is like launching a rocket. We've got a new countdown. That's fantastic. <laughs> that noise you hear, uh, I got to get my doorbell fixed. Okay. Yeah, we got a guest. Open it up and guess who your latest Newest winner on the start of the Grand Slam season. Uh, congratulations, Brad Gushu. How are you, Brad? Good, and yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Knowing you were coming on, we had a little discussion about how you're going to get from North Bay back home for Thanksgiving dinner. We had Here's the options we had. He's going to fly to Sudbury, fly down to Toronto, and then get east. The other one was drive to Toronto or fly. The other one was drive to Ottawa or fly to Ottawa and get somehow go through Quebec City or something. So how, how, how did you get home on time for Thanksgiving dinner from North Bay? Yeah, we right after the game, we drove down to Toronto. By that time, all the flights to St. John's had already left. So we overnighted and took the first flight out on uh, yesterday morning. So long trip home, but got home in time for dinner. And, and uh, it's nice to be home for a few days. I'm, I'm back on the road actually on Friday again. So it's a short trip home. I gotta say, I gotta say, Brad, when I sent you a text that morning, I sent it at five thirty a.m., and you got back to me in like a second. Well, what? <laughs> you're, you're, you're must I, I don't sleep waiting. anymore, Kevin. It's um, <laughs> I'm either in a plane or or uh, getting ready to curl. It's yeah, I haven't got much sleep the last few weeks. A lot of travel, a lot of travel in the next next few weeks as well. We're uh, we're gonna do a camp up in Grand Prairie with our team. That's where Jeff is. You know, that's his hometown. So we're going to go up there early and, and prepare for that. I got to head to Halifax for a, an East Link event on Friday. And then after all that's done, we get home for a couple of days and then we turn around and go to Calgary for the Pan Continental. So a busy couple of weeks. Yeah, no kidding. Did you knock out your MBA? You were in the middle of writing exams. And uh, so I had a note here. I said, did this guy get a master's in business? Yeah, I, I finished that up. Um, finished that up, I guess it would be last January now. So exciting to be done. It was a great experience. Uh, haven't been able to put it to use as much as I'd like uh, as of yet, but that 
I'm sure that'll come at some point down the road once I, I hang up the shoes. Yeah, before we get to Kevin, it's, it's hard to believe you have downtime <laughs> when, when you hear what you're doing. But what do you do when you're not curling, Brad, when you, you completely get away from it to decompress? And how, how do you spend your downtime? If there is any. Yeah, it doesn't happen as much as I'd like. But, you know, we got a cabin that I like to spend a lot of time at and um, kayak and hike, just get outdoors mm-hmm. and, and kind of do stuff that doesn't take a whole lot of thought. That's kind of what I like to do. Obviously, spending time with my girls is is an important part of it. And But other than that, yeah, that's about it. I'd love to play more golf mm-hmm. if I had the chance. Uh, I got to play actually a couple rounds uh, last week just before we headed off to North Bay. We got to to play the Mississauga Club, which was amazing. Uh, and it was just nice to be back out on the links, but hopefully, uh, in, in the years to come, there's going to be a few more rounds of golf in my future. What's your handicap? Not what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I probably play off a six or seven, oh, which well. is, which is good for most people, but I played competitive golf as a, as a teenager. I played in a couple of Canadian amateurs and, and Canadian juniors. Oh, so no kidding. It's frustrating for me now. I get over a shot and I, I know I can hit it or I know I used to be able to hit it and just assume <laughs> I can pull it off. And it never comes off anymore, so it's it's pretty frustrating. We all know Sucks that one. Getting old. Uh, let's get to some curling talk, uh, Kevin. Well, first of all, congratulations! Um, huge win against uh, somebody you'd had a little trouble beating lately in Nicodine. But I wanted to talk to you about the first end, probably as good of an end of curling as I've seen in. In years and years, so many fancy shots. Uh, we're calling them trick shots on TV because it's ridiculous that both of your teams would even play them. Uh, first end of a curling game. And if you remember your conversation when you went to throw your last one, because he had you in trouble, but you said, well, no, but hang on. If I go to the back forefoot here, his other rock, and if he happened to take it out, you would have stole two. But you put it about 18 inches behind it. And by doing that, you said, yeah, but now he's got to be careful. And I'd like to hear, first of all, your thoughts on that end, because it was one of the best ends I've ever seen in my life. But your the thoughts on your last shot, putting that rock where you did, which I think caused Nick to miss his last. Yeah, I'll talk about the shot first. I, I think we just wanted to put that in his eye. And when you're playing that shot as a skip, you know, it's it's great if you get two. You're probably more often going to get one or, or give up a steal because you're going to be cautious about hitting it too far on the high side and taking your own out. So it was just a matter of putting it in his eye and putting it in his thought. Like, I don't think there was a place where we could go where we weren't going to give him a shot for two. Just wanted to give him one that was going to make him think the most and maybe throw it a little bit defensively, which ultimately he did. Do you think you would have played the run back or would you have played the draw for one to make yeah, sure you're one nothing? Draw for one. I would have played. Uh, yeah, the me too. I, I wondered sure. about that. Um, Nicholas is a, probably a better hitter than I than I am, and and uh, probably leans towards that. But to me, getting one in the first end, it's it's a big momentum swing, even in the first end when you get off to a one nothing start, as opposed to being down one nothing. So, you know, that was a a tough shot. I was surprised he took it on, just because, like I said, I probably would have played the draw, but I wasn't unhappy when he was playing it because I, I thought the likelihood of a steal was probably greater than than giving up two. To your other point about the first end, really, we went out with the mentality of just kind of let's let's attack. We watched Nicholas from the side when we were on uh, the sheet next to him in, in uh, one of the other games, and they played it very defensively, very wide open. And Rasmus was making double peels, and Oscar was making the same things. And we just looked over when, especially when they were playing Dunstone, and it was just wide open. And we're like, if we get into that style of game against that team. 
they're going to have success. And, and we knew that from last year. That's kind of how they beat us, just kind of keeping things open and clear, getting the hammer early and kind of controlling the game. So we decided we were just going to attack. And, and you know, that's why you've seen the, the double centers quite often was just to, to junk it up against those guys and maybe get into a draw game where, you know, I think we probably have a, a small advantage over them. Well, congratulations as well, Brad. Uh, well done. And I think we were chuckling here before the taping started about the seventh end and the shot that Nicholas Adin chose to play versus a relatively, I think, easy shot to get a two, to put two up going home versus trying the circus shot for probably four that I don't think was there. What do you think of that whole thing? What, what do you think was going through his mind and what was going through your mind? Uh, I think he was just a little hopeful um, that it would be there. Uh, when I looked at it and the rock settled, I was I was 99.9% confident it was either going to dead jam on a red or come back and, and take the yellow. Um, when he made the call to initially play the hit, my thoughts were get in the hack and throw this really quick so you don't change your mind. <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, I felt really good that it was either going to be one for us or one for him, which you know, in that situation was good. Whereas if he played the tap, which I think was the easier shot or, or probably the shot we would have played, I think he makes that, you know, let's say 75, 80% of the time, yep. at least, if not higher, uh, all of a sudden we're down two, and, and our odds of winning that game get reduced heavily. So, um, you know, we were fortunate he, he made that call. Um, you know, the shot was never there. I don't think you could ever hit it in a way that it was going to miss that yellow rock. So fortunate for us, he made that call. That was one we'll remember most of the year. Let's talk about your team for a bit. You've got a new player, EJ. Things seem to be working out pretty well with him. But uh, he's replacing Brent Gallant. What's the difference from your point of view of Brent to EJ as far as how they play and how they work in with your team? Obviously, both of them are world-class seconds, you know, two of the best seconds in the world. But they differ in their styles and, in you know, some of their strengths. And, and I'm not saying that the others are weakness. It's just you'd probably rank EJ probably as a little bit better hitter or big weight hitter as opposed to Brett, where Brett probably in the soft game is probably a little bit higher than EJ. And on the sweeping side, you know, Brett is known very well for his, his judging, where EJ is, is known very much for his just power. Different strengths. And that's one thing, you know, I have to adjust to as a skip is, is playing to those strengths. So... That's going to be, you know, something I'm, I'm kind of excited about because, uh, you know, to have a weapon like EJ being able to throw a sub six second peel, um, <laughs> you can move a lot of rocks and he throws it so accurately as well. Uh, so it's going to allow me to play some different shots where Brett, we may have played a little bit more of a finesse shot. We might play a bit, bit more of a power shot with EJ. And as far as EJ fitting in on, on our team, he's been incredible. Ton of fun on the ice, ton of fun off the ice. You know, there's some adjustments that we have to make. If you watch EJ when he threw in, in years past, he would tend to slide a little wider of the broom than what we would. So our lines are a little bit different. So if I put the broom in a, in a spot for Mark, you know, we're getting some different paths. So adjusting to that and making those changes, it's going to take some time. And, uh, you know, I knew, know EJ was getting frustrated a little bit at times in, in North Bay with that. But to be honest, that's probably a six-month process that we're going to have to undergo and, and – uh, there's going to be times when he's going to be able to to nail that and other times where old tendencies are going to creep back in. So, you know, not saying that he throws it wrong. It's just we throw it different. And, you know, we could all switch to him or he could switch to us. You know, unfortunately, uh, three versus one, he's got to switch to us. So, <laughs> you win. Uh, but, yeah, but he's, he's so athletic. Uh, he's going to be able to make the adjustment. It's just a matter of time. Now, I noticed on a couple of occasions that maybe – 
EJ's ability to carve is a little better than you thought it was. And uh, all of a sudden, you're screaming for him to to make it curl. And then it, all of a sudden, it's curling too much. Is, was that the case, really? Or yeah, just, uh, absolutely. He's, he's made me look really good at calling line, and he's made me look really bad at calling line. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's some times where he's been able to save rocks for us because he can hold it so straight. And other times where, you know, if we were a little outside the line, I, I called on him to, to start carving the rock and he was able to to really carve it and manipulate it which to have that ability it kind of kind of shocked me and and early on in the week i i missed a bunch of mark's line calls because i i overcalled some of the carves later on in the week i got a little bit more patient and probably undercalled but getting used to that is is something that you know i'm going to have to do over the next you know number of events but it's definitely an asset to have you know a guy that's that powerful it's pretty impressive. Brad, you were saying as we were shooting the breeze before you came on and you said something very interesting about the overall event in North Bay that you there was a bunch of smoke and mirrors. I think the way you put it was, <laughs> I've played way better and lost games. Talk about that and how you pulled it off then when you weren't at your best. Yeah, I, I think uh, as a team, we, we probably didn't play our best or, or up to all of our expectations. What we found is in a lot of games, we made a lot of timely shots and we got a lot of timely misses out of our opponents as well. And, you know, we didn't, with the exception of the semifinal, we didn't blow anybody out. It was kind of one of these positional games where you're trying to get the hammer coming home tied up or or even one down with. And and we were able to accomplish that and, and pulled them all out. I've certainly played some grand slams where we played a whole lot better as a team and, you know, lost a quarterfinal or a semifinal when you come up against someone that's just... Uh, real hot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll take it. I'm not going to not gonna apologize for it because like I said, there's been a lot of events where we played a whole lot better and, and didn't get the results that we got this week. I've talked to a couple of the, uh, I'm going to say new teams, Brad, like teams with, uh, with new players. And one thing that's been fairly consistent, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, and that's the draw to the button. You mentioned that EJ's line is different. I hear that from other teams with new players. They're saying, well, we're just having a heck of a time early in the game, because you, you have to go one side, the other team does the other side, to try to get the path for the all four players to be the same path. Now, in your case, you only have one new player. Yeah. But to get that path for that player keened up so that gives EJ the best chance to hit the button so you can get hammer. I noticed in your games that you weren't covering as much as usual. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because it's one of the most important things in curling now is the draw of the button. Yeah, and it's a very nuanced thing like you're talking about. Um, and really, it comes down to, you know, most teams, like a team like Bruce Mallet and, and, and Nicholas and, and our teams in the past, we threw very similar that you'd actually get eight rocks going down the path of the button. So by the time it came time for me to draw the button or whoever's turn it was, you knew what speed it was because you had got it to its peak speed. So it wasn't going to get any faster. You know, if anything, it was probably going to get a little bit slower. What you find with some of the new teams and, and, and bringing a new player in is even just a, a difference of four to six inches in the path, all of a sudden you're not getting that continuous rock going down where you're getting the rock up to speed. So what we found was each time we went to throw the draw the button, it was still a little bit quick. We had to throw it a little softer than what we threw the rock before. When it's like that, it's still a little bit of a guess because is it going to be two feet quicker or is it going to be four feet quicker or is it going to be one feet? So you're, you just have that level of uncertainty. And when you're talking about millimeters, which is all it was in our draw to button against Nick, I think it was uh, eight or nine millimeters. You might know better, but. Yep. It was 1.2 and 2.2 centimeters. 
Yeah, it wasn't very much. So, um, you know, something is, is minute as that has a big impact. And, and that's the level that we're at with the top teams right now is, you know, that 2.2 centimeters, is, it's huge. And, and just getting those continuous rocks down a path, it's, it's a big advantage for a team that can do that. I want to ask you a question on another topic, and it's the briar. <laughs> and earlier in the show, we were talking about this, the fact that uh, less than 10 years ago, the briar was 12 teams, and it was 14, and it was 15, and it was 16. Now it's 18. Well, we don't know, because we asked Curling Cat a couple of weeks ago what it's going to be this year. Is it 16 or 18? And they'd said, well, we're still looking at it. So we'd like your opinion. What do you think it should be? 16, 18, or maybe 20? I'd like two, you know, because uh, I know we're going to be one of them. And then it's just a matter of meeting another team. Um, yeah, uh, in all honesty, um, I've changed on this uh, a little bit. You know, I, I was a traditionalist where I like just having the provinces there. You know, I think there is an opportunity now for, for our game to evolve a little bit further and get the top teams in there and, and allow them to showcase themselves and, and their brand. You know, I, I'm not a lover of the wild card. Like, let's just get rid of the wild card and stop calling yep. them wild card teams. You know, let's get our top teams in there and call them, you know, Team Boxer, Team Kui, Team Guju. Uh, let them wear the uniforms that they wear each and every week and play against the provinces and, and see what happens. Like, I think there's a real good opportunity for us to showcase our, our top teams and still make the event what it's always been, which has been a, you know, a celebration of curling. It's opportunity for provinces to play, you know, whether you're, I don't even want to say, you know, a club team that happens to make it out of a, a province or whether you're a team that's playing week in, week out on the, at, on the Grand Slam of curling circuit, you know, it shouldn't matter. So I'm hoping it's probably 18. I'd love to see the format change uh, or the entry change a little bit and just, get rid of the wild cards and just call yeah. them what they, you know. I think is if you look at the uh, positioning right now of the top five teams in the country after we've had a very uh, early part of the season so far would be two out of Alberta, two out of Manitoba, and you guys. Yeah. And uh, where we sit now, um, even with 18 teams, probably two of those teams aren't going to be in the briar. And like you said, that's as we sit today, it looks like the top five. And I think at any given time, the top five teams in the country need to be in the Canadian Championship. So I think whatever they've got to do to make that happen is what they need to look at from my point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And, and gone are the days where we can afford to send our fifth, sixth, seventh best yep. team to a Nationals or, or to an, a Worlds or a, or an Olympics. You know, we, we need to be sending our, our best teams. And, and to do that, we need to have our best teams in the event. So, you know, if we, we got to find a way to make sure that those top four or five, six teams are in there no matter what. What about the time? Do you think do you think there's enough time between the Briar and the World Championship for a team to get ready the way it is now? No, uh, yeah, there's another problem. I you know we've we've gone gone through that process this summer with a, a consulting firm that uh, Curling Canada hired and, and spoke to all the top teams and I, I know what our team said. I can't speak for every other team, but you know we were pretty uh, adamant that there has to be more time yep. between that. You know, even a couple couple weeks makes a huge difference. And then you go to the Olympics, it's the same thing. You know, I, we need more time to prepare and, and your life gets thrown in total chaos. Like between the Briar and the Worlds, it's three weeks, you yep. know, for a lot of athletes, you got to get time away from work. You got to try and book flights for your family who want to come down and support you. You, you got to recover just from the Briar. Like what we went through at the Briar this year, we were absolutely exhausted when we came home. You know, obviously Mark had COVID and, and a couple of us caught COVID after that. 
we weren't recovered when we went down to Vegas to, to start out that world championship. We don't want to take too much more of your time, but I do want to ask you one thing that I think might be looking pretty clear. We'll see what you think. You're playing kind of a, a not too busy of a schedule this year. Um, you and I talked about that, I'm not sure, a week or two ago. You downplayed how you played. I thought you played very well this week in North Bay. I got to watch most of your games. Your thoughts on being able to only play a few events, like maybe one a month or sometimes two a month, but getting lots of break between, throwing some rocks, mentally sharp when you go into an event. Your thoughts on maybe might even be a positive, or at least from behind my eyes, being ready to play. You already know how to curl, but now you're not fatigued. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it is a positive. I think there's a number of factors that is, have allowed us to to do this. One being that we're number one in the world. So we know that we're going to be able to get in the slams. We didn't have to play early in the year to make sure we qualify because we knew that was going to happen. You know, we even going right up to the Champions Cup. We know we're in that because we won the Champions Cup last year. And then the other side is, yeah, we have experience and, and you know, that's a positive, but we also have age, which is can be a negative. So we're not going to forget how to curl when we get out on the ice, but we want to make sure that we're a hundred percent when we get to the big events. And those are the slams and the briar. I can speak from experience in the past that there's been many times we went into those events feeling fatigue and run down. Certainly the schedule that we have this year is, is going to allow us to be fresh and prepared to go in there. Again, we're not going to forget how to curl. I think the potential disadvantages for us is being a new team. We're not going to get as many, as much game experience is probably what we would like. But we're hoping that the amount of training camps and the amount of work we're going to do together as a team is going to overcome that. So we're going to be, you know, have our communication down. We're going to have our lines of delivery down. And then when we get to those big events, then it's just a matter of letting the competitive juices come out and, and trying to figure out how to win games. One thing that we talked about on the broadcast, and I, uh, I just thought of it now, Caleb was at the event, Caleb Flaxy as your coach. Uh, do you still have um, your Newfoundland coach, and Jules also, or, or what is your coaching? What's the, yeah, what's the bench so we, look like for you? Yeah, we've got a, a you know, a, a nice support staff behind us. So Caleb's going to be joining us at most events this year. Uh, not all of them, but most. Jules is going to be Alberta, wherever we can drive. You know, Jules uh, no longer wants to go through the airport process and, and uh, all that <laughs> stuff, which I, I don't blame him because what we had to go through the last two years, particularly going over the, the China for the Olympics, I think that, uh, that the, discouraged him from doing that anytime in the future. Uh, but he's going to be there in Grand Prairie with us, which we're excited about. And then Jeff Thomas is going to be working with us, you know, when we're home, particularly myself and Mark, who are going to be here the most. Uh, but he's been already working with EJ and Jeff, and we'll continue to do that over the next year. And then we have Aaron McGowan, who's our, our sports psych as well. So I'm a big believer in find people that know more than you and, and get them to help you. So uh, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do. And get people that know what they're doing, can support us, can take some of the slack away from what, uh, from us, you know, um, you know, Jules is so, so good with the rocks and, and Caleb is kind of a, a younger Jules, to be quite honest. Uh, he keeps track of them, keeps a lot of data that we can use. You know, Jeff has been watching our deliveries, Mark and mine, since we were 18 years old. So he knows when we're getting a little out of whack and can kind of get us back in line. Uh, Brad, you are the barometer for the curling world and certainly all the uh, all the competitors. They wait to hear what you have to say about changes, what you expect in the future uh, for the sport of curling. You had mentioned earlier that Curling Canada did reach out to you and ask about the short time between the Briar and the Worlds. 
Was there any other conversations, Brad, that you did have with them uh, about issues in curling or that you would like to see or things you brought up and are waiting for an answer from them? There was a lot. Um, you know, the conversation that we had with the, the consulting firm was about two hours long. So there was quite a quite a bit where, uh, you know, I spoke for most of it. So <laughs> there's a lot of ideas that I have and, and things that I think can be implemented. You know, I alluded to one of them. I think the process for the Briar going forward, I think we need to we need to find a way for our top teams to continue to showcase themselves. The big issue that I see uh, right now is, is there seems to be a focus on wanting to fund maybe the top three teams in the men's and women's. And, and I can understand that because generally that's, that's who's going to represent us at the Worlds and, and at the Olympics. The issue that I take with that, and, and I say this as being one of those top three teams, is what happens to the next level of teams? And where's the people that are going to come up and push the, the team Gujus, team Boxers, team Cooies, team Carruthers, whatever team you want to throw in there. And my idea is, you know what? Don't give us all this funding. Give us the opportunity to sell ourselves. Like let us wear our sponsors when we're at the Briar because we <laughs> yeah. can we can make get more sponsorship yeah. with that. Allow us to wear our sponsorship when we're at the trials and, and allow us to build our brands and maximize that as much as possible. Then take all the money you were going to give to us and let's give it to the to the next tier or or the younger tier, not necessarily the next tier, but the younger guys, the you know, the Tyler Tardies that are coming up through the world, the the young guys that are are gonna replace ourselves and Team Cooey and 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 some of the older guys over the next four, eight, twelve years. That's a lot gonna allow us to be sustainable over the long term. Because my fear right now is if we fund the top three teams and we fund them heavily, is you're gonna get a drop off of the next teams and they're no longer going to feel they're going to be competitive and they're no longer going to sign up for events and our events are going to start going away. And it's going to have this trickle down effect that's going to leave a gaping hole for about eight years until another young team comes up and, and takes the reins from, you know, us old farts. Do you think the other challenges that you've got, uh, just to throw out some countries, Japan, Korea, Scotland, Sweden, Switzerland, where you've virtually got full-time players that are doing pretty much nothing but curl it that's another issue yeah that, that's a huge issue i i think you know we're, we're not comparing apples to apples with what we're doing in canada to them so how do we get to the level where we can allow our athletes to to be full-time so one way is to defund maybe three teams and allow them to do it you know is that going to change you know my life or kevin cooey's life or and allow us you know we're probably not going to go that route at this stage in our career and, and just become a full-time curler but if you allow us to, to build our brand and, and, you know, increase our sponsorship and, and increase the uh, exposure we can provide our sponsors, you know, that might provide us enough freedom to, to allow us to do a little bit more. And then you can use that money then to, to push up from the bottom. But yeah, we're, we're competing against full-time curlers right now. And, that, and that's something that we have to consider. And, you know, as curling fans, you have to be aware of when you see us playing Nicholas or Bruce or, or Kerry playing Sylvana or, or Hasselborg. Like it's not, not necessarily a fair comparison when, when they're getting funded heavily from their association. But my model is just a little bit different. But my concern right now is that we, we end up becoming like a lot of Olympic sports in Canada where we fund the top few and then there's nothing really coming behind them. So, you know, I, I just want to have something that's sustainable that in four years time, you know, when you're likely going to see a lot of retirements amongst a lot of our top curlers on the men's and women's side, that there's another level of, of athletes that are going to come up and be able to fill that hole, I guess, that's going to be created. 
You know, I'll tell you what, and I don't say this sarcastically, I don't think in all my time of doing sports and sports interviews and talking about events that uh, someone has stepped up and said, look, we don't want, we don't want that kind of money. We don't want that and, and give it to the lessers. I've never heard that. And I think you're going to be onto <laughs> something with other, with other national sports. Yeah, that's uh Yeah, that's and, and to be honest, it's, it's not going to... It's not going to change our lives and it's not going to change our process at this point. Mm. Now, granted, if they're not going to give it to anybody else, we'll take it. <laughs> but, but, but the, you know, for the future and sustainability of, of high performance in our sport, you know, I, uh, you know, I think it could be allocated better somewhere else. And, um, yeah. Good for you. That makes you exceptional, I think. You know, I, I think as top teams, we want the ability to, to wear our brands and, and to wear where are our sponsors and showcase them because that's where we can make up the you know p- potential revenue loss from uh, from not having yeah fair enough but not out of curling canada's pocket uh yeah, brad yeah, exactly. brad guju has been our guest and uh, thanks a lot brad for coming on uh, congratulations you're out of you're out of the starting blocks well done you're on your way up to grand prairie next week uh, you're doing you're going to play and also do you say you've you got a camp is that you and your team practicing for yeah our, our team we're, we're going to get together before all the slams we're uh, we're getting together for you know anywhere from two to four days before uh we're playing each one just to to get more training together on the ice and, and get a uh, more comfortable with each other because you know we aren't playing as many events as others so uh that's how we're going to try and grow as a team is is through those uh those training well camps. done we got to find the picture you said i think your wife took of you when when uh Adine did try that triple <laughs> I think I think sport, Sportsnet would have it there. Uh, my, my daughter showed it to me, and and it's it's kind of meme worthy, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't realize I was that expressive when uh, when he okay, did it. Says, please but, don't yeah. change your well, mind. You played, yeah. You know, we found out you played played in the Canadian Amateur. Uh, yeah, that's the equivalent of, you know, a guy having a two shot lead on the 18th hole in a par five. And it's an easy layup, except he's gonna, he decides to try and rip a three with a 240 carry over a water. You're like, yeah, give that a whirl. <laughs> yeah, you're like, just hit, hit it quick. Yeah, hit it quick. Hit it quick. Hit it quick. Uh, well done, Brad. Thanks a lot for coming on and, uh, and telling us all about your team and everything. And uh, we really appreciate it. And good luck the rest of the year. I'm sure we'll talk to you a couple more times before the year's out. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Good luck. Well, there you have it, Warren, uh, our first big interview of the year, uh, Brad Goju. And, uh, God, he's got lots to say. He's so well-spoken. Uh, did you hear that, Warren? He said he competed in two Canadian amateurs as a golfer. Yeah, I didn't know he was that kind of golfer, but I suppose it makes sense. A lot of these uh, people that grow up to, to be good curlers grew up with a golf club in their hands as well. I wasn't one of them. The golf club didn't come in my hands until I was much older. But uh, a lot of good golfers and good curlers kind of seem to meld together. Well, we're lucky, Warren, because you would have been competing on the professional <laughs> level. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Warren, they sat down with Curling Canada somehow, and uh, boy, I'd love to hear what's going to come out of that. What did you think of that, what uh, Brad had to say? Well, I thought the most uh, interesting thing about it was they hired a, a third party, an outside agency, to do an interview, I guess, with Brad and a number of the top players, which I think is... Uh, probably a great idea because people are going to probably be a little more open when they know that the person they're talking to isn't directly connected with the organization. So I think that was a good thing that uh, they did it that way. And certainly some of the comments he made with regard to what he had to say in the interview, I thought were very, very good. Yeah. 
Uh, the part about the funding was uh, obviously you, you heard me how interested I was in that, and I thought it was an in- incredible thing that that he's suggesting to do. So, uh, thanks a lot to Brad Guju. Uh, thank you, Kevin, of course, for his participation. Again, he's flying somewhere, uh, probably the Grand Prairie, I guess. No, it wouldn't be that. Or who, who knows where he's going? <laughs> he's going to Minneapolis. He's got, he's okay. attending some clinics down there. Oh, okay. I just make the stuff up for it, okay? I just make it up. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll see everyone again on the, on the radio, as they used to say, next week uh, on, on Inside Curling. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks, Jim.